Menashe ben was an amazing man, fearless, brilliant, and eloquent. Raised until a teenager as a Murano, only then brought to Amsterdam from a Portuguese territory and circumcised by his family. He grew up, as Nadler notes, to become the most famous rabbi in all the world. Welcome to Bible 365, episode 270, Manasseh's Nebuchadnezzar. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Rembrandt's paintings are famous and numerous, hanging in museums around the world. But from a historical perspective, perhaps the most remarkable images of Rembrandt of all are four small drawings in a book published by a rabbi, a book about a story in Daniel. The book of Daniel unfolds in the period following the destruction of the first temple. It centers on four Judeans, Daniel or Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, who are taken from Jerusalem in the exile of the Judean elite with King Yehonia before the temple is destroyed and placed in service of Nebuchadnezzar in his palace. Though given Babylonian names, the Jewishness of these figures remains primary. We are told in the first chapter how the four of them refused to eat any non-kosher food in the palace and how their diet of vegetables supernaturally sustained them. Chapter 1, verse 11. Then said Daniel to the guard, whom the head officer had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test thy servants, I beseech thee, for ten days, and let them give us legumes to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this manner and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Then the guard took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them legumes. We are further told in verse 19 regarding these four Jews, and the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Daniel and his comrades thus emerge as Joseph-like figures who advise the king. And a Joseph-like story immediately unfolds. The king has a mysterious dream about the future, and no one can interpret it. Or rather, almost no one. After the king threatened all his advisors, we are told in chapter 2, verse 16. Then Daniel went in and desired of the king that he would give him time and that he would show the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the thing known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azari, his companions, that they would seek mercies of the God of heaven concerning the secret, that Daniel and his fellows should not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed unto Daniel in a night vision, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. Thus, like Joseph, Daniel not only understands the meaning behind the dream, he also accords all credits for the interpretation to God. He then offers the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 31. Thou, O king, sawest and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. 
Thou sawest still that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and broke them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron. For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, and there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle together with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. A statue of four materials representing four empires. We are further told that Nebuchadnezzar accepted this interpretation. Verse 46. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and gave homage to Daniel and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal this secret. Note again the clear connection to Joseph, who himself was referred to by the Pharaoh as Tzafnat Paneach, the seer of secrets. The story served as the inspiration for a book written by a man we have already met, Menashe ben Israel, a rabbi in Rembrandt's neighborhood in Amsterdam. Right before departing for England to seek Cromwell's readmission of the Jews into that country, Menashe published a book titled La Pietra Gloriosa, The Glorious Stone, and the first edition of this work was illustrated by the local non-Jewish artist Rembrandt von Rehn. For Menashe, the four parts of the statue represent the empires of Babel, Persia, Greece, and Rome, with the final one, Rome, representing civilization as he knew it. The division in the statue, as it proceeds downwards, represents the division of Menashe's known world into east and west. The destruction by the stone of the statue represented for Menashe the undoing of powers that persecuted the Jewish people and the dawn of the age of the Messiah. This approach is not perhaps atypical, but Menashe had more to add, seeking to link this tale to other ones in the Bible where stones appear. Jacob, dreaming with a stone under his head, and David, utilizing a stone to kill Goliath. Here is a summary by Stephen Nadler from his wonderful book, Rembrandt's Jews, from which I've learned a great deal. Quote, it is not with this, however, that Menashe is concerned. Rather, his extraordinary claim in the book is that the boulder in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the rock serving as Jacob's pillow, and the missiles thrown by David are all one and the same stone, Menashe sees the identical messianic message in each story. Great and powerful nations will give way when the Messiah arrives, just as the statue is toppled by the stone. The angels climbing up and down the ladder in Jacob's dream stand for the rise and fall of nations. When he awakes, Jacob takes the stone that served as his headrest and sets it up as a sacred pillar, much as the kingdom of Messiah will be established in Israel. 
And it is, Menashe believes, no insignificant feature of the David story that he had five stones in his pouch corresponding to the number of kingdoms. His victory over Goliath represents the Messiah's victory over other nations, end quote. As Nadler further summarizes, Menashe also based his interpretation on the most mysterious chapter in the book of Daniel and one of the most mysterious in the entire Bible, chapter 7, where Daniel beholds in a vision four creatures, verse 3. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked and it was lifted up from the earth and made stand upon the feet as a man and a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second, like unto a bear. And it raised up itself on one side and had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. These four beasts from Menasha are, in other words, also embodiments of the four empires that will ultimately be undone. One does not have to adopt every aspect of Menasha's approach in order to understand the poetic power of his argument. It was the Psalms that gave us the verse, Evan ma suhabonim pina, the stone rejected by builders, has become the cornerstone of the building. And it is the miracle of the small people of Israel outlasting empires that provides the cornerstone for the argument presented in my Tikva video series that I titled The Case for God. The mysterious endurance of the Jews is itself a source of faith, and, as I believe the case may have been for Rembrandt, It can serve as a source of wonder for those beyond the Jewish people as well. Menashe ben Israel was an amazing man, fearless, brilliant, and eloquent. Raised until a teenager as a Murano, only then brought to Amsterdam from a Portuguese territory and circumcised by his family. He grew up, as Nadler notes, to become the most famous rabbi in all the world. As Nadler writes, Menashe, quote, acquired a great reputation for his own writings, especially among Christians, to whom some of them were directly addressed. He was seen among non-Jews as the foremost Jewish spokesman and apologist of his time. Gentiles sought him out as a teacher and consultant, end quote. Menasha, as Nadler further writes, interacted with the Gentile intellectual world by not only teaching Hebrew to Gentile thinkers, but also by publishing books in Spanish and Latin, arguing for the truth of Judaism to the larger world. As Nadler informs us, one Dutch theologian who had had his son study Hebrew with Menashe gave the following compliment to this rabbi. Quote, he is a learned and pious man. If only he was a Christian. End quote. In contrast, as Nadler tells us, a rabbi in Holland described Menashe as, quote, the ornament of scholars and the glorious diadem of our people in the eyes of the nations who writes learned works the likes of which have never been seen in any lands or peoples and their theologians consult him daily to hear his learning, end quote. Menashe, in other words, was perhaps the first rabbi in the diaspora to demand publicly, through his writing, that Jews be accepted in the intellectual and religious world as equals. And his book about Daniel, La Pietra Gloriosa, is certainly an embodiment of this extraordinary aspect of his life. Menashe was a Daniel, a man who fearlessly identified as a Jew, And, as Daniel spoke in the name of Judaism fearlessly in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, 
Menasha did so in the court of Cromwell and to the entire world. We have sent you a link to the pictures provided by Rembrandt from Menasha's book. And while there are those historians and scholars that have questioned how close Menasha and Rembrandt really were, I believe this book to represent a genuine partnership between a rabbi and an old master, perhaps the only one in the history of art. And as we shall see, this will not be the only depiction of the stories of Daniel by Rembrandt in which Menasha will play a role. We would therefore be remiss if we studied the stories of Daniel without remembering Menasha, reminding ourselves thereby that we as Jews are called to learn the lessons of our history, to reflect upon the story of the small stone that outlasted the many mountainous empires that sought to overcome us, and to fearlessly enunciate with eloquence to the world the meaning of this miracle. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow. Signing off.